Today is week one of a three-week series of my interview with Dr. Russell Ramsey. Don't know who he is? You'll know soon because he is one of the biggest names in the world of ADHD research. It was such a pleasure having him on. He gave me so much of his time that I was able to make three episodes out of this. So let's go. Welcome back to ADHD Money Talks, a show that helps dynamic but distracted ADHD brains take back control over their money in order to stress less, live a more enriching life, and open up new and amazing possibilities. And I am your humble and very ADHD host, Dave DeWitt. Today, we are going to kick off a three-episode series of an interview that I did with the one and only Russell Ramsey. Russell Ramsey is the co-founder and clinical director of the University of Pennsylvania's Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program and an associate professor of clinical psychology in the Perelman School of Medicine at Penn. Dr. Ramsey has authored numerous peer-reviewed professional and scientific articles and book chapters, and he has written five books about adult ADHD. Most recently, the one that I read, which is Rethinking Adult ADHD, which was written in 2020, and I highly recommend you read this book if you get a chance. It's a little bit technical, but it is so good. Dr. Ramsey is an inductee into the Chad Hall of Fame. He serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Attention Disorders and the ADHD Report. Dr. Ramsey is board certified in cognitive behavioral therapy, and I am so excited to have him on the podcast. He is a big name in the ADHD world. He has so much wisdom to impart, and while he doesn't have any necessarily financial expertise, we can totally talk about money and ADHD and some just general ADHD stuff as well. So we're going to get into all kinds of stuff over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about what ADHD really is. It's more than just what's in the diagnostic manual. We're going to talk about inhibitory fatigue, executive functions, delayed rewards, specificity, keystone habits, the accumulation of small behaviors, and how that can create change, and just so much more. And so why am I still talking? Let's get to the interview. This is part one of my interview with Dr. Russell Ramsey. Dr. Russell Ramsey, I'm so excited to have you on. David, thanks for inviting me. I'm always happy to converse with somebody who's, you know, helps folks with ADHD and, you know, happy to be here. I want to just kind of get into the nitty gritty because, because I read your book. What's the title again? It's, uh, the most recent book is Rethinking Adult ADHD, Helping Clients Turn Intentions into Actions. Yes. And it was so good. And there were so many nuggets in there. I tried to take notes and, and prepare for this interview, but I ended up just having a page full of words and <laughs> things I wanted to talk about. ADHD cuts across life in so many different ways. And one of the ways it really does cut across is, is money. And there's so much of the things that ADHD does to people. It makes you feel it's in money. Like with money, you have the shame, the guilt, you have the feeling of how am I going to get this done? I know I need to do it. I know there's a reason. I know I want a better future, but like I'm in a bad space and I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to observe the current situation because it's, it's so anxiety provoking. So to talk to someone with you who can help maybe help people reframe or even just like think about how can I get my thoughts to be in a place where I'm thinking about it in a way that I can actually get started on something like this. Right. So right. there's the negative thinking, the negative self-esteem, poverty mindsets, habits form when you're a kid. And then it's just all of this stuff. Yeah. You know, something I found helpful over the years is even with the nature of ADHD, as somebody, a psychologist who sits across from people doing the diagnostic assessment and then the therapy and the change process, 
is actually like, what is ADHD? The official diagnostic criteria are not bad, developmentally inappropriate levels of inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity, but it's really hard to see those things. Well, is this person inattentive? Yeah, you know, are they reading the book or are they is their mind somewhere else and they're not reading it and they're attentive? You know, somebody can pay attention pretty well sometimes. And is this a deficit? Blah, blah, blah. And I really think the self-regulation view of ADHD, how efficiently difficulties with efficiently following through on what you want to do, and not some sort of robot expectation. Okay, we're going to wind you up in the morning, charge your battery, go forth and be highly efficient all day. No, within reason, and we need to take care of ourselves, have downtime, puttering around time to regenerate, but really understanding ADHD within things like time management, organization, which also translates to money management, financial management, uh, motivation and behavioral initiation, uh, emotional regulation, which is not anywhere in the official diagnostic criteria. And like you said, money for individuals and in couples or other partnerships, be it business or interpersonal romantic, it's a highly, you know, money is a highly charged matter. And, and also telescoping out it also ties in with workplace, job loss, and some other risks for ADHD, and not losing sight of even within that when somebody's able to find a career that lets them optimize their strengths, there is still the, the money thing, or just managing time outside at work. And so time is money. So time management is also money management in a way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And one of the biggest things that I come across is, is folks with ADHD who don't feel even worthy of having wealth and having a lot of money. And they also feel like money is may not be here tomorrow or we'll just escape them anyway. So what's even the point? Or they think, well, I might not even like be alive in five years. So what's the point? And it's just this sort of mindset of, and also a and I'm just saying a lot of things here, but also a feeling of just wanting to give it all away. It's not for them. It's for someone else. Like they, they don't need it, but they don't even see the picture of why it is important and, and how their future self or future body in this world will actually really benefit from doing concrete steps today. But it's very hard for them to sort of feel like this is important today. And so if you could have any comments on that. Well, you know what, in a way, the self-regulation model of ADHD, it bundles within the executive functions, which pretty much are self-regulation. They are equivalent to willpower. And not willpower as a character street, more like the muscle analogy of it can get depleted. So we can spend all day not eating the 10 chocolate chip cookies, but at 1059 at night, we cave and eat them all. You know, that's called inhibitory fatigue. You spend all day not eating the cookies, then you drain the battery. The analogy of eating with spending, we're logging on to Amazon. You spend all day not buying the item, taking it out of your cart, but then at the end, yeah, you click the one click shopping. And like Jerry Seinfeld said, by the second click, I don't want it anymore. Part of what the executive functions allow us to do is work towards delayed rewards, the larger later reward and money and savings and retirement funds, all those things, as well as our effort, like exercise, any investment that for which we have buy-in, we know we'll be better off. We want it, but it's really hard because there's often some short-term cost. I'd rather spend $100 today on something that I can have now than put it into the retirement fund or even save it for the car. So in terms of 
I'll just give a, a little overview of it, but like if I'm sitting across from somebody, sometimes it is the valuation of the goal. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do your homework? Why do you want to go to the gym? It could be anything. Why do you want to save this money or have this automatic deposit uh, into your retirement fund, whatever the case may be? And as a little aside, in case it's not clear, we all have executive function. It's just that ADHD, and this is lump, this is a little all or nothing, but as a, as a group and in general are at the end of the tail where it's the consistent inconsistency. It's not all or nothing. It's just more inefficient to the degree that it causes problems. Some of the struggles are familiar. So these are things like the automatic payroll deduction for retirement funds. Part of the reason that, in fact, in some ways is maybe you have to opt out of it is this whole human nature thing. If we don't, we're going to find ways to spend it now, even if we tell ourselves, I will put it away. So having that set up where we never see the money, it's automatically withdrawn. This is sort of an executive functioning regulation piece that society has done. I mean, it harkens back to the famous marshmallow test where the seven-year-old children were given a treat but it famously is known as the marshmallow study, but they could earn two if they could wait the 10 or 15 minutes till the examiner came back. It's the same thing. If they took the the marshmallow away and you didn't see it, it would be easy. You could earn the second one, but that temptation. So one is, why do you want to set up this savings account or save for this in the first place? And then really breaking it down to behaviorally, what does this mean? And it's not cheating to make it easy. Automatic payroll deduction, I don't see it at all. There might be some other steps focusing on spending behavior or not spending behavior, maybe analogously. Another key feature with working with a lot of people, it's specificity. So saving money is broad, vague, and nonspecific, but maybe brewing your own coffee rather than spending money at this perfectly fine coffee house. And these small behavioral shifts, same thing with exercise, the accumulation of the small behaviors. But again, this is that longer range goal that is part of the battle of human nature. But that's what the executive functions allow us to do, act with intention towards our longer longer range benefit. Yeah, they certainly do. And it's just amazing how and you're so right about the inconsistent. The only thing that's consistent is inconsistency because in my own life, I've I've set up the most amazing budget and I've followed through on it for a couple of months. I've made the most amazing progress. Within a blink of an eye, I could go a month of going on a spending spree and then have incredible guilt and shame around that. And then I think to myself, how in God's name was I able to do that when I did all this work and I've completely, I made my vision board. I knew what I was working towards. I was working towards this really great future, buying a house, having a family, all these great goals. And then I sabotaged it in just a matter of a few weeks. And what's wrong with me? And then it's like, I am a failure. And that's kind of where the thinking goes. It goes, I am a failure. How am I going to do this? The work to get back to it sounds like a mountain. I don't even know what's going to happen. And then a couple of years might go by of more just back to normal. And then you're in a bad place. And that's right. just what happens. And so like, how can we accept the inconsistency? Is, is part of it accepting that we're just going to be inconsistent and being okay with it? I would say partially. So even that scenario about you have a plan. So part of the work is the valuation, 
what is the plan? What are you trying to do or not do? Being specific and making sure it's like, you know, I'm not going to try to change everything. I'm going to train for a triathlon. I'm going to go totally vegan. I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. It's like, it's, it may be too much where, you know, the, it, it starts to tumble, but you know, what can be called in, in the habit literature, keystone habits that, Hey, if I do these things, some other positive benefits might come. So another one, it's not in the financial domain, but if somebody says, I want to have more consistent sleep habits, or maybe it's like, I want to go for a walk for half an hour after dinner every night, even though maybe not having a sweet snack after the walk, that might not be a specific target. But when you come back from the walk, you go, hey, I feel good. I'm actually not hungry. I don't have to have that scoop of ice cream or something. Not that it's illegal, immoral, or unethical. So it's like having the specific plan and the buy-in and and then after you have it, and like you said, I've worked with a lot of people saying, I can come up with great plans. I don't follow them or I right. follow up for a day or two or for a while or whatever. It is anticipating, all right, what could go wrong with this plan? So like with the evening walk, all right, you're putting the dishes in your sink. What thoughts will go through your mind? Well, you know what? It's a little chilly tonight. I'll, I'll start tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, the emotions. Ugh, I don't feel like going out. We, I call it the UG emotion. Uh, I mean, there can be other ones, but usually it's not like a panic attack. It's just, and this is putting words on the feeling. No, that's so right. It's it's UG. It's UG. It's yeah, it is. Ugh, I mean, I have, just, I have this big tedious task to do today. UG. Right. I don't want to do it. Let's see right, how right. I can not do it. And you know what? I'm a die in the wool cognitive behavioral therapist, but we're feeling beings before we're thinking beings. And our emotions are really important sources of information. So also looking at, okay, this UG feeling might be protecting me from something, but what is it? And exercise is effortful, but we go, yeah, but I know I'll feel better later. And, you know, so it's the cognitive piece. What are the emotional interferences? And then what are the behaviors that you say, if I see myself doing this, tell you what, I should really clean up the kitchen before I go for the walk. And then I'll be in the mood to go for a walk. And if we are, that's fine. But if then after cleaning up the kitchen, we go, ah, yep, game's coming on. Let me go you know, sit and watch it. Then that's really a task interfering behavior and the kitchen can wait till after, but just recognizing sort of the escape tells. So all these things, you know, going back to your, your financial example, it can be anticipating what could be some of the risk factors with a financial plan? It might be holidays where there's expectation of giving and receiving gifts. And some of these might be factored in and vacations or other expenditures or things that we go, I want to keep my gym membership. Maybe the things that we go, I, I want to maintain this expense for what it gives to me. And somebody else may go, no, I don't need the gym. I can go running on my own, but I have this collection. So it's making informed decisions but then anticipating and catching when we invariably will start slipping up whatever the expense might be. And there can be, is there a possibility of undoing it? Okay. I made this very rash purchase of something I really don't need, or I could rather than spending 30 bucks on the just released digital or hardcover book, I could check it out of my library first. So let me see if I can return it. And other times it may be, okay, how do I rebound and recognizing how did I justify this expense? What's my permission giving belief? And this can be done in anticipation. What are your vulnerabilities? If I'm out with friends, buying drinks for friends or things like that. And so it can be generosity 
And then it's looking for, okay, that's not a bad thing, but if it leaves you in a worse financial situation, are there other ways to be generous with your time, with donations, or you budget in for the spending? And then what are, and this will be something I'll I'll bounce back to you. I'd like to hear about your experience, but the emotions around spending and money, and there can be various things. I didn't have a lot growing up. So now that I can have access to things, which can be a positive and people have earned that, but then it's, okay, I'm not used to setting up the boundaries. How far does it go? Because before I never had to really say no, because I didn't have a lot of opportunity or there can be the other. And especially I would imagine for a lot of young adults starting out, I'm a generation Xer, but I know in my generation, starting out on your own in your own apartment, you're going to take a quality of life hit where there are some things that maybe you had in your family household that you're not going to be able to afford for yourself for a while. So there is that short-term trade-off of, if I want to have my own place, I might have to do without or be creative in how I can work around. Like I might have to go to a friend's house to watch the Super Bowl on the large TV, something like that. So there's a lot of ways to just like a behavior plan, plan for what are in advance, what are the risk factors? We will still slip up. The relapse rate for overspending, just like I'll say the relapse rate for procrastination is 100% or skipping a workout or whatever. It's not that it happens. It's how can you catch it early and contain it and make it just be a slip and not a total like relapse. And it's very similar to dealing with addictive behaviors where there's going to be slip-ups and things like that. And there is a benefit, even to an addictive behavior, there's probably some benefit. It could be pain relief. It could be reducing social anxiety for excessive drinking. There is a positive outcome, even though it's tied in with a problematic behavior. So is there another way to deal with the social anxiety without drinking? And maybe even, like I said, with wanting to be generous, is there another way to do it that doesn't pull out of, say, your retirement fund? Alrighty, that's going to do it for this week's part one of my interview with Dr. Russell Ramsey. There's going to be two more weeks of this amazing, awesome interview that I did with Russell Ramsey. I can't wait to continue to bring this to you. So stay tuned for next week. See you guys.